0: hey guys welcome to the view from the front podcast my name is stan r mitchell and i'm a prior marine and journalist who twice a week discusses military matters while also adding in a little motivation wisdom and history i do my best to cover our military where it's at what they're doing where they might be going and any conflicts and hotspots that could lead to military intervention besides covering this news i also try to share some motivation and wisdom with each episode while also working as hard as I can to unite this country. Without question, I feel like our wide division and animosity toward those with whom we disagree is the greatest threat our country faces. So twice a week, I do my best to bridge this great divide, while also reminding each of us that most of us are being played by divisive political and news figures who are ripping apart this great country just so they can reach a higher office or gain more followers and add dollars. Most Americans are good and we need to remember this, always. While we face great challenges as a country, America has stood together for more than 240 years. And it's only by pulling our country closer together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. We need to hold and cherish the beliefs that got us here today. Beliefs such as patience, kindness, and a strong belief that our best days lie before us. These are the beliefs that got us to this point. And they're also the kind of optimistic beliefs that will get us to a brighter future. And with that out of the way, let's get started. This is the September 30th edition of The View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. I wanted to say real quick, welcome all the uh, new subscribers. We had more new subscribers since Tuesday than I've ever had in a single, I guess, break between editions. So... If you're one of those new listeners uh, welcome really glad to have you here always try to tell folks that uh, you know feel free to reach out to me it's not like I'm some kind of big shot or something if you got a suggestion or a question uh, those who have reached out to me are always amazed at how quickly I respond I do try to respond to any comment I get whether you you can actually just hit reply to the email that you got if you got it from Substack it'll come to me Uh, people like I said they're usually kinda stunned that I do reply I try to reply pretty quickly I guess the one exception is I am a a proud unifier so if you send me a silly email that's got a lot of name calling or you're calling someone a traitor or something crazy like that, I'm not going to get pulled into anything like that. I uh, obviously want to make sure that I protect myself from any kind of gotcha games that someone might try to play so if you disqualify yourself by sending a silly question, I'm not going to get sucked into anything like that. But if you got a legit question or don't understand where i'm coming from want to know more about a subject want to know why i feel a certain way about something and it's a like i said a legit question and i don't feel like you're trying to bait me into something i'll absolutely share a little bit more about why i feel a certain way i've done that several times with folks so they're always stunned i'll tell you what i honestly think and if you push back and can change my mind and do that with facts that are easily verifiable hey i don't claim to know everything so I enjoy that kind of banter, I enjoy that kind of dialogue with folks who are discussing serious issues, so that's partly what I'm here for, so welcome to, welcome to the show, and definitely reach out to me if you'd like. Uh, in today's edition we're going to talk some about the CIA, a huge news story broke that is uh, just, I'm still just honestly blown away by it, uh, so I want to talk about that a bit. Also I want to talk about Russia and Ukraine, obviously. going to talk about how an invasion might look of Taiwan if China were to do an amphibious invasion. There was an amazing thread about that on social media. So I'll probably share that. And of course, we'll always do the wisdom and motivation portion at the end of the show, which is probably the best part. So thanks for joining us again for the new folks. Appreciate all you guys telling others about us as we try to grow this show. And with that, let's get into it. As I said a moment ago, we're going to begin this episode with Just an unbelievable story about the CIA, which was published by Reuters. I can't say that very well, but uh, just an unbelievable story. It's called America's Throwaway Spies, How the CIA Failed Iranian Informants in Its Secret War with Tehran. This is one of those stories, you almost have to read it to believe it, but I want to hit some of the high points And then I've got it linked in the source notes. I definitely recommend reading it if this intrigues you at all. It is, honestly, it's a longer story, but it is just absolutely unbelievable. And as I start to share some of this, I think you're going to have the same reaction I had as I read it, which it's hard to believe that some of this was published. But it's clear based on what has happened, that the Iranians and other foreign service operations knew about these issues, which I'm about to discuss from this article. So it's not like this is top-secret information that hasn't already been uh, revealed to our potential enemies and adversaries out there. It has been, and the effects have already happened. It's just this news agency has found out about some of these horrible things that have occurred, and how they occurred. And before I get into it, this is one of the things that makes us great as a country. None of us likes for, you know, our dirty laundry, so to speak, to be aired out. But I think as you hear what I'm about to share, you're going to realize that uh, I'm sure there are folks in the CIA who are already trying to fix these things or have fixed them and are working super hard to make sure it doesn't ever happen again. I'm also sure that there will be congressional oversight that probably has already been happening that will happen even more so now. And so this is one of those things where it's, it's like a baseball team or football team has a bad loss. You've got the Monday morning quarterback that ha- quarterbacking that happens. And while it's not fun to discuss it, mistakes and bad games, so to speak, The good news is is that you get better from them, and that's what makes America the country that we are, that you can even publish this stuff, and that we can continue to sharpen and hone our abilities, because when we do make mistakes, eventually that information is probably going to come out. So, with all of that said, as kind of a precursor to what I'm about to share, like I said, the article talks about how the U.S. has been aggressively trying to get more human assets into Iran. And they've been doing this going well back to early part of 2000. But in 2004, 2005, pushing into 2008 and a little further into it, with the increased speed that Iran has pursued nuclear technology and potentially a nuclear weapon, not going to get into that controversy, But the U.S. needed more human intelligence um, assets in the country. And so they tried to speed up and make this happen. And as one could probably guess, when you try to um, move quickly to develop human assets, which are basically spies. But when you try to speed this up and get informants, bad things can happen. And that's what's happened. So what were some of the mistakes? So let's discuss one of them. One of the things the CIA would do was, when an informant or newer provider of information become available, is they would direct them to a secret website that was public. Uh, So I guess secret's the wrong word, but it would be, like one example was one called IranianGoals.com. It was a soccer website. You could go through it, and there are lots of photos of silly games of, Soccer, And it looks like just a small, typical website that is low traffic and like a fan put up. And they've got an archived version of it. You can find it if you want to go to the source notes and look at the article. And so an informant or spy would be given a particular website that looks public, that looks totally uh, innocuous and totally innocent. And then you could go to the search bar, and you could type in either a keyword or a password or whatever they told you to type in. And if you did that, you would have this, like, secret login with, like, a chat box. So pretty cool concept, honestly. And um, so the informant could then pass information through a public website that had a secret, like, door to the CIA. And the CIA would talk with its informants. Through this way, and each informant had its own website on a public, as a, again, like a public website. But there was a way that you could basically get into this um, door to chat. Again, sounds pretty cool and pretty smart to hide something in public view, so to speak, such as that. Unfortunately, there was a problem, and that problem was once the Iranians figured out. And I assume they busted one uh, spy or an informant. But once they figured out what the U.S. was doing, because the U.S. had tried to speed up how quickly it developed its sources, there was unfortunately code in this website that was replicated on all these different public sites. So maybe there's a different site that was, you know, not soccer, it was something else. But Iranian cyber folks were able to basically search for this code and find dozens of sites. And from those sites, they were able to then find individual spies and work their way into figuring out where this person was, what they were doing, etc. And so by solving this mystery, they were able to obviously grab numerous potential informants or spies for the CIA all of this has come out. Uh, Reuters, in their interview, uh, they've talked with several of these people. The amount of sources in this story are just unbelievable, including folks from the CIA, some of whom are angry about how, you know, folks, folks that they developed were nabbed. Uh, many of these uh, Iranians spent seven to ten years in jail. Um, there are in-depth stories, including photos of these folks, many of whom have been released now, because this goes back to 2008 and earlier but uh, how their lives were wrecked because this code was copied. And the uh, Reuters hired a couple of cyber experts who helped solve how this code could be searched for. Some of the archived sites are still available. That's in the story as well. Um, so it's really just it's absolutely tragic that these Iranians who wanted to help us were nabbed by this sloppy tradecraft now I'm not some kind of cyber guru or anything but the um, from what I've seen from doing a little research on it it was not the best you know tradecraft for someone creating these websites and they could have hidden it much better so we unfortunately failed Um, the Iranians nabbed these folks like I said quite a few of them spent seven ten years in jail eight years you can read about the details in the story. And the Iranians, interestingly, tried to flip some of them and get them to basically, you know, do the old double agent thing where they would, in theory, be released, keep working with the US, but then provide information to Iran. Um, so it goes into that a bit. Hopefully the CIA's figured out if any were used that way and clean that up as well. So that was the first thing. So really interesting thing, sloppy code, Sloppy coding lost us a lot of progress and a lot of probably good people. So, that was the first thing. The second thing I wanted to bring up from the article was the CIA was a bit sloppy, trying to choose my words carefully, in how it protected some of its sources. And the article goes into some detail about how with some of the newer, lower-level informants or spies... The U.S. would often say, hey, come to the consulate in Istanbul, Turkey, and we'll meet with you there, and you can give more info, etc., whatnot. But the problem was the U.S. intelligence agencies knew that Iran was watching some of these consulates. And so the Iranians would watch these places and see Iranians enter track where they flew in from, track back where they came from, and when they would return to Iran, some of them were followed, and some of them were scooped up from that. Now, some of the folks interviewed from the CIA who were former intelligence analysts and operatives themselves said, hey, you know, when it's a newer, that there are layers or levels to these informants, and when it's a newer person, you know, sometimes folks working at the CIA it takes a lot of work to do the job right and maybe one of them's coming in to meet you and it's just easier to have them come to the consulate and meet you with you versus you know getting out in a car and driving around town and you know reversing flipping back and forth doing all the things changing vehicles to meet you know somewhere with an an informant and having made sure that you had no tails or no one from Iran watching you so Unfortunately, we lost some folks that way just because some of the analysts or some of the CIA folks were a bit lazy or sloppy. And they just said, hey, come to the consulate, even though they knew the Iranians were watching the place. So that was the second thing. And, of course, honestly, that's kind of outrageous and it's embarrassing and it's tragic and it's heartbreaking that they did this. So that was point two. All right. And the third point involves trying to secure a U.S. visa, so say an applicant were to apply somewhere in like uh, Turkey or some other country for a visa, then depending on what their work history might show, they would be interviewed and or pressured to provide information, even if they didn't want to, in the hopes that the only way they would get this visa is um, depending on what they might share. And, of course, this ended up getting some... ...Iranians captured and imprisoned as well. The article goes into details about that. I'm not going to make an editorial comment on whether that's right or wrong or any of that. I'll let you decide for yourself. And I don't want to share too much of that article. So definitely go check out the article. Absolutely worth your time. Absolutely mind-blowing. And hats off to Reuters for just incredible reporting. I hope we learn from this. I hope we've already corrected these things. And... You know, hopefully things like this don't happen again because it affects U.S. prestige. It affects our ability to recruit other sources. And honestly, it's tragic. It's it's unfortunate that these mistakes were made and they, you know, horrific things happen to people because these mistakes were made. So, unfortunately, with this podcast, I cover the military a lot. I cover intelligence. And when you make mistakes in either of those two fields nothing good happens. This isn't you know, flag football we're playing here, and bad things happen to people. So this is a story about some bad things happening to people, and I just hope that our intelligence agencies can improve and not make mistakes like this in the future. Let's move now to the situation in Ukraine, and obviously the Russian war against Ukraine. We talked in previous podcasts about the mobilization that putin announced and how russian men have been fleeing the country uh, the washington post had a great story that estimates 180,000 russians have fled the country and it interviewed a few who had fled to turkey and other countries and you know it describes a 42 year old russian construction worker who over the course of four days made multiple stops in two different countries trying to get away and how hard it is to get tickets that anytime you're trying to buy a ticket on a plane there's probably 20 or 30 other people that are trying to buy the same ticket and how it's just unbelievably expensive to get out of the country. I read in a different story that uh, one uh, family had spent like $20,000 to get out of the country so it's expensive to do so and then it quotes another person, I've got this in the source notes, that said that uh, that the Russians, the government, were actually enlisting men, quote, in mass, that neighbors and friends had been called up, and so they quote this person as saying, I had no choice, I can't go to war and kill people in Ukraine, and if I stayed, there was no other option, and so he and his wife decided to leave on the very day that Putin announced the mobilization, and there's just." This quote that is just almost gut wrenching, and he says in it, In one day, I quit my job, took the money from the bank, took my wife and the baby to my parents. My entire life is breaking apart. And so, the story kind of drills down into you know, you see a big number like 180,000, and you forget that it's really ripping lives apart. Families are breaking up. Obviously, in this case, this person left his wife and and baby with the parents. So there are split families now. Uh, A lot of the Russian men who were interviewed in Turkey, they're they're standing around in groups. They have no jobs. They're not sure what they're going to do. Turkey's trying to figure out what to do with them. I don't think they're going to send them back or anything, but it's kind of growing into, you know, a smaller humanitarian crisis. So mobilization effort is not going well. And I wanted to share that as just kind of additional evidence because it leads into this next point really well. This mobilization effort, in fact, is struggling so bad that Vladimir Putin actually had to do an interview or, I guess, a a video for the country, an indent, it's shared by a uh, the, the bureau chief in Moscow of the Financial Times. So this is a person that covers Russia and Putin all the time. So he shared a—his uh, name's Max Seddon—he shared a two-minute clip from uh, Vladimir Putin, who's basically—you can just tell how uncomfortable he is. But in it, there's a quote. He said, we must correct mistakes and not allow them going forward— he said, and everyone who doesn't meet the criteria must be sent home. So what he's talking about is that there are unbelievable amounts of videos of uh, going around on social media of older men, people with uh, not perfect health conditions, young, younger looking men who probably shouldn't be mobilized. So there's been all kinds of issues with this mobilization. So besides the fact that you have Russians fleeing out of fear, you also have the wrong people being mobilized. And so I guess there wasn't great clarity on how this mobilization would be. But uh, Max said and said that this shows that the Kremlin is anxious about the backlash and, of course, the overreaction of people fleeing the country. This doesn't look good for Putin or for Russia. Uh, there was another video. I didn't put it in the source notes of a media comment uh, commentator who's basically off script just talking yesterday and he's just saying how embarrassing it is for Russia, that not only are they losing this war, that people are fleeing, and there are lots of social media videos of men who are refusing to fight, and he talks about how embarrassing that is, that Russian men won't fight for their country, and he kind of threatens them and says, you you people can never come back. What will you say in 10 or 15 years that you refuse to fight for, you know, basically Mother Russia? So, a lot of friction going on. Looks like um, Russia's kind of going through its own Vietnam War thing, where... Uh, It's really causing just huge division in the country. And while you have this on the one hand, on the other, you have Ukraine. And I put a video in the source notes. There was another viral video that uh, began spreading throughout all the social media uh, channels. And it shows Ukrainians, I have in the source notes, that are basically dancing before they're going to fire their high Mars uh, multiple launch rocket systems, or it's perhaps afterward, I'm not sure, but uh, it's spreading. And you can just see that even though they have dealt with this just unbelievable, horrific tragedy that Russia has invaded for a third time, I always say a third time because it is the third time. This goes all the way back to 2014. I'll spare all my regular listeners the evidence of that again. But they have dealt with this, you know, horrible situation with a, a lightness and a, a strength of character that is just unbelievable. And you can see in the video, these, these, uh, soldiers are in clean uniforms. They're well armed and they're, they're, they're just happier. They're also way more confident. And I only share that video because I had told a couple of friends, I'm, that I just don't think you can beat men like this, you know, God bless them, They, they just will not be beaten down, they will not give up, they're never going to lose, you would have to literally wipe out every Ukrainian that remained, you know, if you fled in the beginning, even most of those came back, and so you can see the spirit in their fight, in their defense of their freedom, in their love of their country, that you just cannot see on the Russian side, And um, I shared a quote in the source notes from Mike Tyson. And uh, he says, you know, a happy fighter is a dangerous fighter. And so the Ukrainians have been fighting the Russians since 2014. They know what it was like under Russian rule. They see the, you know, there was a recent rocket attack again. They have seen the uh, times that time after time, the Russians have launched rockets and missiles into their cities indiscriminately. They have done horrific things to the Ukrainian people, committed atrocities, and they have tasted freedom, and they will never, ever give up their freedom. Not until every Ukrainian is wiped out, and that's not going to happen. So, which leads me right into my next point. Things for the Russians are not going to get better. The Pentagon announced, in fact, just this week, another $1.1 in long-term military support for Ukraine includes 18 additional HiMars those multiple launch rocket systems, and I'll get into that in just a second also includes 150 uh, what we what we call Humvees uh, 150 tactical vehicles to tow weapons 40 trucks and 80 trailers so that they can transport heavy equipment Which is going to make them more mobile which will also make their offensives uh, more effective Uh, transportation and logistics is obviously a huge thing in war But to put, back to the high those multiple launch rocket systems, which are just devastating the Russians, and they have no way to counter them. We've talked about this at length. The 18 that they are sending, anyone want to take a guess how many Ukraine has right now? Oh, you're probably like me and you weren't sure. Max Boot, who's a foreign policy analyst and a columnist, he did the the research, but the Ukraine currently has sixteen HIMARS multiple launch rocket systems. We've talked about how they usually fire them at night, they move away, the Russians have nothing to hit them with. We don't think they've lost a single one to date, although they probably wouldn't tell us, but there's been some small snippets from US intelligence folks. But we think they have sixteen. We're sending eighteen more. They're gonna have double. So the Russians are going to face the kind of just unbelievable uh, future in the coming days and weeks that it's, it's almost difficult to wrap your arms around. If the Russians think they had it bad up to this point, they have no idea. It's only going to get worse. The Ukrainian military is only becoming more effective. And it's not like the Ukrainian people have protests in their country saying, oh, you know, they've taken you know, part of our country, but the, some of those folks over there, they love Russia. So let's just let them have it. No, there's like 98% support for the president of Ukraine. So it's not going to stop. It's only going to get worse. And so, you know, and a, a lot of, a lot of these fighters, I mean, there's no one who hasn't been touched by this war who hasn't lost a family member or friend or seen the damage. These gentlemen and and women aren't going to stop under any circumstances. So it's not going to get any better for the Russians. This huge, another billion dollars sent to them, not going to make it any better. And so I wanted to share that. And I also wanted to share you'll see a map. There's a Russian city that, not Russian, I definitely need to take that back. There's a Ukrainian city occupied by Russians that Vladimir Putin, as he has started trying to control the military more, insisted to Russian generals that they not retreat from, under any circumstances. And that has led to a growing catastrophe there. This city is in the uh, eastern part of the country, in the Donbass region, where those massive offensives have been happening. And Vladimir Putin had this brilliant idea that They should hold this town at all costs. Well, I've got a map in the source notes, but the Ukrainians are pushing, basically it is a strong point, this city. So the Ukrainians have pushed around it to the north and to the south. So you can just imagine this double envelopment of the city. It's basically surrounded now. And so I'm not sure the exact number of Russians in that city. It's quite a large number. We'll find out soon because they'll soon have to surrender And um, once again, Vladimir Putin will be shown to be the not-so-great military strategist that he thinks he is. And so that's going to happen. going to happen soon, probably. Wanted to share that. And amidst all of this, he is trying to prop himself up. Today, I'm recording this on Friday. He's supposed to sign decrees today that declares four of the regions of Ukraine that he invaded are now a part of Russia. And so the New York Times had a great article about this. The four provinces, they're mostly, they're in the east in the Donbass and in the southern part in the Kherson region, which we talk about on a pretty regular basis. And the New York Times described this as, Russia is proposing to annex four provinces in the south and the east of Ukraine, where intense fighting continues. Moscow hastily put the plan in motion after a humiliating battlefield defeat drove the Russian army out of another province, Kharkiv, in early September, and the Ukrainian advance appeared to be gathering force. The Kremlin plans to declare the land where battles are raging in all four four regions to be Russian territory and to assert that it is defending, not attacking, in the war in Ukraine. So that's the big plan, is that... He's going to claim Putin from this point on and try to scare the West and Ukraine, but he's going to claim that we're we're not the invaders, we're not the attackers. We have these four provinces, they're ours, and now you guys keep continuing the war by trying to take back this land. So that's going to be how he tries to fight this PR battle. I hope to do certainly my small part, but I hope that the West and that most of the media will continue to bear out the the true facts of who invaded whom, what the background of this war is. And uh I think given what the leaders of various countries have said, everyone recognizes that the so-called referendums that he held where soldiers would show up at gunpoint in homes and hand out ballots and collect them and where he supposedly won, I believe the number was 98% support. Everyone knows those were complete shams. They were not real. And so certainly Ukraine doesn't plan on stopping anytime soon, and I hope that the U.S. and the West continues to support them as they continue to try to reclaim the land that was theirs and to rescue the people who are enduring unbelievable just brutality under Russian occupation. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, please consider subscribing. Make sure to visit my website, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. From there, you can subscribe to the show by email so you'll never miss a show. All of my podcasts are free, but if you really want to be a rock star and support what we're doing, you can sign up at my Substack for $5 a month. You can cancel that at any time. Not only will that help make this work sustainable, but it will also get you the Tuesday post on Tuesday. Those Tuesday posts are available to everyone, but they're delayed by one day unless you're a paid subscriber. It's my hope that this small delay will encourage my big time fans and supporters to throw a few bucks in the hat to support what we're doing here if they can. At the same time, it doesn't really penalize you if you can't make that $5 a month payment. At most, you're waiting just one extra day for the content. Thanks again guys for all your incredible, fantastic support. I really do appreciate it, each and every one of you. So we've covered Ukraine and Russia enough I think for this episode. And I want to get into China in a moment, and then, of course, get to the motivation and wisdom part of the podcast. But before I do, I thought I'd change it up just a tad. And I wanted to mention a column that I had read in the Washington Post. And it was titled, To To Not Comment the Prose of Rural Reticence. Prose being like, uh, not prose as in like English grammar or literature, but the pros is like an advantage, pros and cons, so the advantage of rural reticence, which a bunch of big words to mean, you know, of not commenting basically. I know a lot of folks may not have the Washington Post uh, subscription, and I don't want to get too into the weeds of the column because that isn't fair to the columnist, but the columnist, I'll just briefly say, was out west in a rural town and was on a long horse ride with, a, with some of uh, a family member, a friend, I can't remember which, doesn't really matter. And about 20 miles into it, this person goes into this kind of diatribe about some political point or some educational point. Again, that doesn't matter either. And they finish it, and the other person doesn't really say anything, so they kind of probe them and say, so what do you think? And the person just says, hmm, literally, that's all they said. And the columnist talks about, so weeks later, they had read some more, done some more, and they were still trying to figure out where the other person stood on it, but they realized they were wrong about something, so they call them back and say, hey, you know, we talked about this, actually, I've read this other thing, you know, blah, blah, blah. And again tries to backtrack a bit, and the person just kind of, again, just goes, hmm, doesn't it say anything. Now, the point of all this is that so often we create these political arguments that are completely un- unnecessary between family and friends. And I've got a quote from the column from another rural person who, um, talks about that there was a, uh, someone raised on a ranch who went to school, become a lawyer and went far in life, but kept the rural roots as well. And the quote is, and it takes a second to get your arms around this. But is education possibly a process of trading awareness for things of lesser worth? Someone i read that again. Is education possibly a process of trading awareness for things of lesser worth? And what I take from that and what I think the person is, is saying is that so often we are in such a hurry to show off what we know, how educated we are. Oh, we've researched this, or we took classes about this, or we read this book. And what we what we do is we offend people. We create wedges and distance between people. And so a lot of times, when we talk too much, we are creating more issues and more distance and, and more animosity. And honestly, in most cases, it's not worth doing. You know, a lot of times we'll get wrapped around the axle, so to speak, on, you know, 40% of Americans think this and they think that and what will happen to our country. And we're so divided. And I, I confess, I fall for this often, too. But I regularly say that there are good people out in the country. And maybe they have Trump flags. And there are good people in the cities that may have, you know, progressive views that I don't necessarily agree with. I'm proudly in the middle. But these people on both sides will help you. And we, we're we so much more united than we often think. I'm going to bring up a column that I read in a, uh, a few weeks ago. I've been waiting to share it, and I don't think I'm going to get to it today. I don't have time, unfortunately. But we're so much more united than we think. But we allow you know media personalities, we allow politicians to divide us. And I know, folks, super extreme left and super extreme right, if you engage in, with them on a political argument, Oh my word, <laughs> the amount of venom that will come out of them, the anger, The they're they're just firebrands. But if you don't talk about religion, if you don't talk about politics, if you don't get into that stuff, they're freaking great people. They're great friends. They'd be there for me in a heartbeat. One phone call. So I just think that column really hit me because I think a lot of times, especially on social media... But even on Thanksgivings and and family events, we're bringing up religion, we're bringing up politics, when we don't have to. So I think, if you can take anything from this not-too-well-constructed point I'm trying to make, it's that there's probably a lot to be said for just biting your tongue and avoiding whatever controversial issue. Even though you may deeply feel a certain way on an issue... You're probably not going to change the person's mind, and it's just a lot of times better to look at the things you agree on and to not bring up divisive things because you're just creating wedges, you're just creating distance, and you're creating animosity that unfortunately will only spread. So, there's my point. I know I'm going to get a ton of feedback and people are going to say, we're talking about such and such rights or this or that and you can't be quiet about that or this is about blah, blah, blah. I know all that. I I know all the arguments. <laughs> Save yourself the email. I I know all of that. And I totally support going to the voting booth. I do believe the upcoming election is unbelievably important and the one that'll be in two more years after that is too. I know all of that. But I also know... The reality is that much of our national direction is going to be decided by just a few states. I tell people, I live in red East Tennessee, Tennessee is one of the reddest states. I always tell people, they try to get me wrapped drug into like, how you vote for this or that? And I say, do you really think it matters? Unfortunately, my state doesn't matter a whole lot. It, we're a red state. A lot of things are going to be decided by just a few states. So why we allow politics with our friends and family when you're not going to make a massive change in the national direction now there are a few states where it does matter i still believe in supporting um in voting um i know i've dragged myself into this way deeper and i'm still gonna get beat up no matter what but i'm telling you i think a little kindness is something that we should all work toward and maybe just biting our tongue and showing a little bit more love being a little bit more if you will biblical and godlike would probably be better so That's all I'm saying. I know I'm gonna get eaten alive for this, and I'm still gonna leave it in the podcast, because that's just the way I am. Let's move now to China and the situation in Taiwan. We talk about this a lot. We'll probably be talking about it for a while. But I wanted to share a thread that was on Twitter, which is just unbelievable. From I wanna give the hat tip and the source in the source notes you can follow this gentleman or gentlewoman, I'm not sure if it's a man or woman, but uh, the the person goes by PLA Ops, so you can find them at PLA Ops O S I N T, and it's just an unbelievably well researched look at what a Chinese invasion of Taiwan would look like from the amphibious point of view. When I just want to hit a few points from it, you can read the full thread if you want, and inside the thread there are additional threads of links to military studies and everything's very well backed up. I'm not gonna to get to that level of detail. You're certainly welcome to and it's worth your time and I I read to that level, but I know we have limited time on here. And but I wanna hit there's just some really good stuff in this thread that really good lessons, really good things to look for. And so he he I'll just say it he I think it's a gentleman, but he begins talking about the way that an amphibious invasion would would work, and he goes through the observation of many recent amphibious practice um, rehearsal drills that the Chinese have done. And so he talks about it begins with the infantry vi- fighting vehicles loading up onto their ships. He names the different types of ships. They typically load up in the daytime. Of course, that's easier. In most of the practiced attacks that china has done as part of its training drills those happen at night he says the first wave are recon troops and small crafts their intent is not to make contact but to infiltrate deep behind enemy lines and establish observation points to identify high value targets such as artillery and missile batteries and those will be obviously targeted by fire of other artillery or or landing craft that have big guns or perhaps obviously jets um he says that before the actual amphibious craft go that the chinese army will use unmanned unmanned platforms to clear any sea mines that might slow down the main landing force at the same time helicopters take off they begin suppressing shore defenders to allow first wave of small crafts and engineers to make landfall he's got a photo of that and then the actual fighting vehicles come He talks about how they're armed. Some of them have 30-millimeter autocannons. Some of them have 105-millimeter main gun. Some of them have anti-tank guided missiles. Once they've landed, the follow-on forces come, and those are big, big, almost like floating piers, but those will bring tanks and heavier equipment. And he then goes into a bit about how China, you know, we're well aware of its military fleet, but that they will actually bring into civilian assets, civilian shipping, um, you know, the ships that carry cars, etc., and they will use this to bring on additional equipment. Talks a little bit about the U.S. Naval War College, has looked at the entire sea lift capacity of the uh, Chinese military, including when you add in their civilian assets. But he also goes into about where the various units are in China. There's a map of that in the source notes. It's kind of neat to see. And it shows they're pretty well spread out. They're not just like straight across from Taiwan. They're hundreds of miles to the north. So he shows how in the past where the ships have gone to pick up these troops and where they would go. And the main reason I'm sharing all of this is it's kind of interesting to know how the operation would go, but also that... It's almost a relief to realize that this can't be done in some kind of top-secret manner. It's not like they could just, in two days, say, we're going to do this. They have to move unbelievable amounts of, tr- of of troops and ships, get everything loaded up. This isn't something that can happen overnight, and for me, at least, it's comforting to know that. And so, I wanted to share that just because... You know, I think our media sometimes in their, they don't get very deep in the weeds on things, but they also obviously want plenty of viewers for their advertisers. And so they do a great job of building up alarm sometimes, either on purpose or maybe not on purpose. But either way, they do a great job of building up alarm. And I think sometimes it's good to say, OK, if this is actually going to happen, what's it going to look like? I remember just as a personal thing if everyone remembers the Y2K thing and how it was built up for months and months and years, and I know that there was important work that had to be done, but I remember when Y2K happened, there was a few friends of mine want wanted to have a party, and I'm like thinking, man, is the world going to end? What's going to happen? Should we go to this? Should we not? Everyone was talking about what possibilities might happen, and I'm embarrassed to say that. I was like, man, I don't know. Like, there might be unrest. Who, who knows? So anyway, I decided to go to this party, but I'm like, you know, people are saying like, man, there could be like roadblocks. There could be who knows what will happen after midnight. And if I'm going to this party after midnight, like I got to be able to somehow get home if like complete unrest happens. And so I'm like, well, I don't want to be like the paranoid guy. But, you know, I was in the military at the time. I, I'm going to put a pistol in the car just in case, you know, if there are roadblocks, I want to be able to fight my way through them. I'll get back to my house, whatever. And I remember being at this party and that that's literally my thoughts. And I'll bet you were probably pretty nervous about Y2K too. And then it showed Y2K, or it showed the new year turning over. You uh, at least as I remember, I remember you know people are you know sharing drinks and there's music and everyone's watching. And it happened. They showed China as the Y2K, as the countdown happened and midnight struck, and it went around, and like nothing happened. Like all the lights didn't go out, all the computers didn't shut down, and there was just like this breath of like fresh air. And everyone's was like, Whew, okay, good. Well, it didn't hit them that bad. Maybe, you know, it won't hit us that bad when it gets... It. And I remember thinking, wait a minute. Like, why didn't anyone in the media say, hey, we'll know if things are going to be bad based on how it happens wherever it hits midnight first and the clocks turn over and all these computers could, who knows, completely go nuts or haywire. And I was just almost absolutely angry at both the media and at myself, at my own ignorance, that I hadn't thought about the fact that America isn't going to be the first one to hit midnight, so we're going to have some warning on what this looks like. And so I remember kicking myself and feeling like a complete idiot as I drove home with a pistol in my truck, and how I'd worried about it, and how I had stored water and done all these precautions, worried about this thing that the media built up, which probably had a bit of truth, but that no one had really dug into and actually painted a better more accurate picture and so maybe you guys were better read at the time maybe none of that happened to you but i have ever since then anytime something's about to happen i just research it more because you just see the headlines or the you know if you just go an inch deep on a topic it's easy to get scared but if you just start digging into the weeds it's not nearly as scary and so the same thing with this china thing after reading this thread it's like oh of course if i had thought about it they gotta move thousands of troops they gotta do all this that would give the West a little bit of time to, to do some things, to move some ships, to make more very clear what we will do if they do this. It would give Taiwan just a few days to prepare. They're obviously working to prepare anyway. And so as you dig into things, at least for me, knowledge is power. Knowledge leads to me being calmer about things. Me saying, you know, yeah, I know there's freaking hyper hyperventilating about whatever on X you know Y Z news channel right now. But here's kind of what, you know, I've read about it just a little bit, and here's, you know, just some things I saw that made me feel better. So that's what that thread did for me. I hope that it did the same thing for you. I always tell people that I try to, I would never want to be like most news stations that just blow things out of proportion. I never want to do that kind of stuff. One, I don't want to to get people's blood pressure up and rising. I just don't want to be that person. I am also try to be the calmest person in the room at any time, but... I just, I'd really see this podcast as almost like a a calling or a ministry or something of just trying to like get our country for people to breathe, for people to relax, for people to try to unite. And you know, how that, how that all plays out, I don't know, but we take it one day at a time. We do what we think we're supposed to do. And so hopefully by seeing that, as you see future news in the coming weeks, months, and years, because you know, the China thing is at least a five-year problem and so this isn't gonna go away but just knowing that this isn't something that can be like a snap decision that's the reality and so I hope that me sharing all this will help calm you a bit and reduce some of your blood pressure and concern over any possible Chinese amphibious invasion could the Chinese do some kind of blockade yes could they launch rockets with very little notice and missiles yes they can do those things and they would do those things before an amphibious invasion but that's not how our media plays it they played it as will china invade will they do it this year will they do it next year it's just man like calm down people so there you go hope that helped and now let's move to the best part of the episode the motivation and wisdom part as i say every week i'm just going to read these these are some great folks you can follow on social media Uh, i've got them linked in the source notes if you want to go there and and learn just a little bit more but uh, we'll just begin here's the first one to reveal your brightest light recognize who you truly are it's pretty good next one if you quit now you'll end up right back where you first began and when you first began You were desperate to be where you are right now. Keep going. That is a really good one. Next one. I walk slowly, but I never walk backward. Another solid one. Next one. Nothing grows in a comfort zone. Do something today that causes you discomfort. Another solid one. Next one. Thoughts become things. Heard that one before. I'd say some of you all out there have heard it as well. Next one. Remind yourself from time to time that you are healing. Another good one. Keep smiling. It makes people wonder what you're up to. Solid, for sure. Next one. Each morning you have a new chance to become your best self. I like that one. Next one. Consistency is the answer to all of your problems. Turn up every day, put in the reps, and you'll work it out. I like that one. That one's along the lines of the, um... I can't remember the exact wording of it, but it's like, motivation runs out, but discipline is the answer to all your problems. So, that one's kind of similar to that. That, uh... I think on that point, I wanted to make one other point, which is that... And I read this in a book. I wish I could remember which one. But I'm always reading self-help books and trying to improve myself. But there was one that said, uh motivation follows discipline and it talked about that almost no matter what you're doing in life there'll be days you don't want to do it but if you'll just go and start it it will your motivation will follow and it's the example the book mentioned was if you don't want to go to the gym if you'll just make yourself get in the car and go you walk in and then you know if it's in toward winter and the gym's a little bit warmer And you hear the music, and you see people moving weight, and then you just kind of start to feel it. And then you do your workout. Or if it's summer and it's super hot outside, you go in the air-conditioned gym, you hear the music, you see people putting in the effort, you decide to do it. Same thing if it's Friday night, you don't really want to go out, you get invited to a friend's party, but you've had a long week, you've got a busy weekend, or you just want to relax, you just don't honestly want to go you just go you get there next thing you know five ten minutes later you're having a good time and so I've always always think about that quote that motivation will follow if you just go do something so a lot of times you don't feel like doing something do it anyway and then you'll find that motivation and if you don't do it we know what happens you end up laying down on the couch or not whatever you end up doing because you didn't do it You start to feel a little guilty, don't you? And then that starts to eat at you. And you start to realize that, at least on that day, you dropped the ball. Hopefully, you're not to the point, you know, if it's me, I've really beat myself up. And I'll be like, you're such a a piece of crap. Can't believe you didn't do that. You let yourself down. You don't want to beat yourself up that bad. But we know deep down we all beat ourselves up a bit if you don't do what you're supposed to do. So there you go. Hopefully that helped a bit. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10 plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well, a -a twice-a-week podcaster, who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. It sounds cheesy, but every new subscriber I get, and I promise you I get an email for each one, they really do help make my day. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber, Again, you can do both of these things at my substack, .substack stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to who you haven't talked to in a few months reach out to them and finally if you're one of those awesome military folks listening out there if you need help please reach out to someone call a friend or a family member do it for us all we've lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide so i'm asking you to be brave once more and show some vulnerability take a deep breath breathe call a friend or family member one of your fellow veterans, someone who can help. There's obviously hotline numbers as well that you can call. With that, I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email that I get. I can't tell you how much those mean to me. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the um, social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others, if you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So. That'd be a great way to help out. Thanks again, everyone. You guys are the best. As always, don't forget to check out my books. You can find all 11 of them on Amazon. And with that, I'm out.